although force is often used, it is not essential. Many cults woo their victims with love rather than brutality. Kathleen Taylor, Brainwashing the Science of Thought Control. That was Brandy. I'm Kayla. This is Two Bitches Reading Books. I just thought that was perfect because there's a fucking cult happening in this book, man. We read this at the perfect time because I just started reading Chaos. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's a book about Charles Manson and like the 60s and the CIA. And it like goes through the murders, goes through the like formation of the Manson family. And then it goes through like the fact that this motherfucker was being protected by some government agency and it very well may be the CIA. I have Charles Manson. Charles Manson. And not like he was an operative or something, but more like the CIA was giving him acid around the time they were doing mind control experiments and then he would also like always get bounced from jail by some unknown government agency like agent guy interesting very interesting right like i mean they definitely could have been start trying to start a race war but that could have definitely stemmed from them having some bomb ass government issued acid yeah um, and, you know, wouldn't it be so much cheaper to have, like, a dude form a cult for you and see if he could brainwash those guys than, like, coming up with, like, you'd have to have a facility if you were doing it with the government. You would have to, like, background check all of these people, all of your, like, victims, basically, all of your participants. And your- it would just be so much easier to do this rogue-ass study with a random fucking dude. Really, though? Anyway, I'm thinking about that this whole time I'm reading this book because, like, Birdie and david thompson charles manson and charles mancy okay yeah the prologue is really short in this book it's literally like basically a paragraph it's just like somebody we don't know who it is saying that it's probably henry um but it's just saying that they had a not very normal childhood especially once they came oh and it says i was nearly 11 when they came and my sister was nine so this is definitely henry talking and they lived with us for more than five years and turned everything very very dark my sister and i had to learn how to survive and when i was 16 and my sister 14 the baby came and i read this like seven days before i actually got into the reading and this is on my mind forever because i'm like who was they who had the fucking baby i it better not have been the sister i will say this book is leaving me with a lot of questions. Oh my gosh. There's no fucking way we don't, we get all the answers. No. <laughs> By the end of there's, there's no way we get all the answers in the next 200 pages. Okay. No. There's a full blown cult in these people's houses and like watching the mom, like allow all these people in and the dad just being like, whatever makes my wife happy. I don't want her to be depressed. I'm just like, could this, ha- this could happen to people. This could happen to people. And just like very slowly, suddenly somebody has infiltrated and demolished your entire life. Yep. So chapter one starts with one of the main characters, Libby, and she's received a super fancy letter from a solicitor also this book is set in england and france and i had to look up so much shit because i am just oh we're just not hip to the lingo over there in europe here in america it's not taught (laughs) no and i also wish they would stop saying so and so is called he's called (laughs) no it's his name bitch yeah (laughs) so she's basically getting a letter from like a lawyer's office and a lot of this book is like conversation and I like that but 
it also makes it like really easy to read very short sentences. So yeah. she's just having a conversation with her mom because she's nervous to open this envelope. She's been waiting for it for 25 years, she says. And it's from a board of trustees. So I'm like, ooh, what is she getting from this board of trustees? It was just her 25th birthday. So obviously that triggered something. And she ends up opening this letter with her mom on the phone. And basically it tells her that she got the house we don't know what the house is yet because it's page seven of this entire book. But her mom is like, if this is true, you're going to be really fucking rich. I'd be shitting my pants. I would be too. That's crazy. Yeah, we don't really know anything at this point. All we know is that Libby's getting a house and our minds are free to wander. That's probably why you have so many things going on in your head because every single chapter is, it like gives you an idea of what's going on in her life. But like, We'll have a chapter that says she's getting ready to read an article. And then we have to read two more chapters before we find out what was in the article. Yep. <laughs> Every chapter is a cliffhanger. It's stressful. It is. So after she gets off the call, she's just kind of looking around her kitchen. And she's just realizing that, like, I mean, her life is nice. She's made her apartment nice. But, like, it's not fancy it's not elegant she makes a comment in here that everything is from tj maxx and i love tj maxx i feel like we're in the same place but she has to splurge it's a splurge if she buys mac eyeshadow and now she's like shit depending on the size of this house what a joke that i had to like scrounge my pennies to buy mac eyeshadow and that she got a 1500 euro a year raise Mm -hmm. which after taxes is 100 euros a month that would be two mac eyeshadows a month that's not a ton just to put it into perspective yeah she's just feeling like her whole life just got blown apart because it did she's thinking it's in a positive way but i don't know remains to be seen (laughs) maybe this will turn out positively somehow but honestly it's really it's suspenseful yeah (laughs) and that ends chapter one and then we go to chapter two and we meet a new character lucy and she lives in the french riviera and i i feel so bad for her she has oh my gosh yeah she's near 40 and she's homeless and jobless her son who's the older of her two kids is like angry doesn't want to eat the chicken thing that she just got him and she's like you better eat this because it's the last of the money like it's a really dire situation and she ends up like splurging and getting dessert for the kids as well because the daughter ate really well and she um wants dessert uh she really loves her kids it really just breaks my heart because half of these chapters are just her looking at her kids and feeling sad that that's like the condition that they're in they finish eating they pay they leave the restaurant and This chapter is them trying to find a place to stay because there's a storm coming. They've been on the street for a few days. They end up trying to go to Stella, which is the daughter's grandma's house. Um, So basically like Lucy's ex-mother-in-law. First of all, the kids don't want to go there. Stella doesn't want to go there, but they have to go because they don't have anywhere to go. And the grandma says, I'll take the girl, but not the boy, not you and not your dog. You guys are going to have to figure something out. And like Lucy's like, we don't have anywhere else to go. And Samia's just like, not my problem. Sorry. Stella still doesn't want to go, but Lucy talks her into staying. Lucy stays and Marco, Lucy and the dog go out to try to find some shelter. They end up like going underneath a flyover, but it's Is that like loud. a bridge. Yeah. If you go under there, 
in a tornado, this like centrifugal force could basically pull you. Yeah, that's why you're not supposed to go under there during a tornado. Every single time I think about those bridges, even right now when I was reading it, I picture that fucking picture. I had a teacher for astronomy, not even like, how is this relevant? I guess weather is relevant to astronomy, but he showed us those pictures in class. I couldn't look away. Oh my I gosh. I, I had to see it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, it was a college class, so I guess we were all adults, but it was graphic. That's like abuse. It felt like abuse. I remember that astronomy class very well for so many reasons, and that's like one of the only bad ones. The other one was one day I was wearing a dress that had a seam up the back, <laughs> and I sat down. I was living my best life, whatever. It's like a two and a half hour long class. So there's a bathroom break in the middle, and you know my bladder is very, very small, so I got up go to the bathroom, come back. And the girl sitting next to me says, I don't know if you know this, but there's a hole in the back of your dress. And I'm like, oh, okay, oh, well, no. thank you for letting me know. No big deal. I sat through that whole class, got out to my car and realized there's not a hole in the back of my dress. The seam is not together anymore. There is an 18 inch gap from crack to like my knees. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. My whole ass was out. Oh my and God. It was like, a dark blue dress and I was wearing a thong with my white ass cheeks like there's no fucking way you didn't know that that was just my ass yeah and I wear my backpack like I have back problems like up on my shoulders okay so there was nothing covering me <laughs> oh everyone got everyone got a view that day I considered dropping that class quite seriously if it had not been my last semester of school I probably would not have finished that <laughs> I would have been like I'll take it next semester <laughs> <laughs> that was like right off the fucking semester where I told my whole class, come on down to Pound Town in my fucking public speaking class. Oh my gosh. I was trying to say, come on down to Taco Town because I was giving a speech about Taco Bell. Oh. <laughs> so embarrassing. And then I had to give, that was the opening line of my speech. So I had to give the whole thing after that. <laughs> so I thought Marco was younger. And so like he had this conversation with his mom about like, why is their life so shit? Yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Well, on page 12, I have a note that says, Stella is five. Do we know how old Marco is right on the line where he says, you know why your life is shit? Yeah. Or that's what Lucy says. But <laughs> at that point, they hadn't told us, but we definitely know he's older. Marco has an attitude. And honestly, I can't blame him. I think I'd probably have an attitude in this situation too. And I would probably also blame the person who was supposed to be taking care of me for this so but I feel bad for her because she is trying and if she is who I think she is there's no fucking way that she has any other way to make money than what she does or has any like thought to try anything different yeah so they end up like arguing because Marco wants to know why their life is so shit and then we end up finding out that Lucy is a fiddle player her fiddle is broken she can't really afford to make the repairs but that's how she makes money and it'll work out. It always does. And then we end chapter two with um, Lucy opening up her phone just quickly because she needs to conserve battery. And there's a like notification from her calendar that's been there for a while that says the baby is 25. That means Libby because she just turned 25. So at this point I was like, oh, is Lucy the sister? I hadn't had that thought in my head yet. I'm thinking Lucy is Libby's mom at this point and she had a kid underage, but I do think Lucy is the sister now. It took me a few chapters to put that together. Okay. 
for a long time, I thought she was Birdie. But the ages don't line up. The ages line up perfectly for her to be the sister. Mm -hmm. So you caught on to that much faster than I did. I'm just like, Lucy is Libby's mom. She has these other two kids. What's going on? But we don't actually, I mean, we think that the matriarch of the family is Libby's mom. That's what she thinks. But it could have been anyone. Yeah. I'm starting to think it was Birdie. Yeah, it could have been we don't even know who all ends up in the house because right now where we ended the book, there's only like four other people in the house. And yeah. the neighbor said there were a fuck ton of other people. I think that they wouldn't have been like numerous if it was four, two couples. Mm-hmm. That ends chapter two though. And then we're in chapter three and we meet Henry for the first time since the prologue. It's Chelsea in the late 1980s. So there's two line, two timelines. Lucy and Libby are in the now, and Henry is in the then. I just, I love Henry. Henry's probably my favorite character. I love his internal dialogue. I love the way he, like, approaches his dad like a fragile little baby, like, with tact to try to get the information he needs without, like, shutting him down. He says, my father never worked a day in his life, just sat around waiting for Harry to die so that he could be rich in his own right. And then he says he bought their house the very same day he got his hands on the money. He'd been house hunting during Harry's dying days and had his eye on a place for a few weeks and was super scared that somebody was going to snatch it off the market. So this is the dad. He's literally just waiting for his dad to die so he can buy the house of his dreams. Man, so many people I know like that. Yeah, for real. But I think what Henry's trying to tell us right now is that money is everything to his dad and it's very fucking weird that what happened to them happened to them because before like it was money over people all day every day yeah apparently eventually he meets the wife on page 15 she was a rare beauty and Henry says not my words my father's your mother is a rare beauty so Henry's dad Henry Sr. is literally just a dude who likes money and possessions. Yep. And that's what a wife is to him. Just a pretty little possession. She was 12 years younger than him. Mm-hmm. And she was a style icon. His mom sounds legit. His mom yeah. sounds cool. She's got a little depression going on. And maybe it's her fault that they live in a cult for five years. But uh, she seems like a good mom until then. She had a job for a little while before, but she ended up leaving because, like, the dad thought the job was why was she working i don't know because people like to leave the house bro so she had the business one day and henry didn't like it and then the next day like it was gone like henry jr basically is just saying that it's kind of sus that the business just poof she just didn't go one day it was it was gone dad kind of had a controlling little he's setting the scene for like what a domineering money loving man his dad was it's fucking weird that the business just disappears overnight. And another thing that Henry brings up is that they were so rich before that they went to this school that was just like super fucking expensive, the most expensive school in London. And he says, our uniform was shit brown and bile yellow. <laughs> Do you know what that made me think of? <laughs> what? University of Wyoming. Oh my gosh. <laughs> They are shit brown. <laughs> they try to go for more gold than the, like the lime bile yellow you need, but it is true. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, so he's just like thinking about how fucking rich they are. And like, this is older Henry, I think, like writing us a diary, just like 
thinking like, how did we go from that to where we did? But one day Birdie showed up and we thought she would stay for a weekend. And that's how the chapter ends. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> but you know, foreshadowing, she did not stay for a weekend. No. Then we start chapter four. We're back with Libby. She is with the solicitor. His name is Mr. Royal. And she really, she's in there like half convinced that this is a fucking joke and she's waiting for the punchline. And the guy's like, oh no, this is totally true. I've got the keys. Let's go look down at the house right now. Um, you know, he basically tells her there were other people that didn't show up mm -hmm. who would have been I, named. I think it was Henry and Lucy, but they never claimed the exactly so she gets the house that would freak me out personally because like what if they just didn't hear and they show up one day thinking that the house is empty and just like come in but whatever yeah he then gives her like an article the headline is socialite and the husband dead in suicide pact teenage children missing baby found alive I can't even imagine the way I would probably shit my actual stomach out of my body if somebody handed me an article and it was about me and that was the headline. I don't even think I would go and view the house. Dude, I would be freaked the fuck out. Like, there's ghosts in there. There's no way there's not ghosts in there. Yeah. It's a triple suicide, basically. They say there's uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lamb, which is Henry's parents, and then also an unidentified man, who, by the way, isn't identified in our reading. And then they also find a female baby, 10 months old, in a room on the second floor. And she was healthy. And it also talks about how the neighbors saw a bunch of kids here. Um, it talks about how they don't know how exactly they died, but seems like they poisoned themselves. And it also mentions that the police are looking for the couple's son and daughter who are 14 and 16 years old that's henry and honestly like in the henry chapters and like the chapters that are like back in time with him he just calls her my sister i don't think he once says her name does he, he no he doesn't i was just assuming it's lucy i think it is lucy too especially because we find out later that birdie was teaching them both the fiddle she's got to be either henry's sister or um the little friend that she had that was david thompson's kid Oh, but yeah. Clemency. Clemency. All these fucking names are so weird. All of the names that come from the cult people seem very weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that's what sovereign citizens would name their kid. Clemency and Serenity. Yeah. So they go on a walk and go down to the house. She also finds out she's getting a Jaguar, which is cool. This is her first time finding out about the brother and sister, too, and the suicide pact. Like, she had no idea up to this point how her parents died, how they lived before. Like, she genuinely thought maybe it could have been the little tiny house. She had no idea what was going on. She definitely wasn't expecting a jaguar. Yeah, I don't even think that we mentioned that she was adopted. She doesn't mention that she's adopted until, like, this chapter. She calls her oh, mom yeah. her mom. Oh, yeah. And in that first chapter when we met her, she's just like, these papers came from the trustees and it's about an inheritance period you know so yeah she was intentionally vague I think Lisa is the she I'm talking about right now being intentionally vague she really wants us questioning every aspect of this whole thing she does we're gonna have forgotten all these chapters by the end I suspect I think so too I'm even like going over them now I'm like oh wow I forgot I totally read that yeah all this stuff happened 
it's hot as shit. And I feel like they keep bringing up that it's hot as shit. So that's important, it seems like. But they hoof it down there, shaking their asses off. Or not shaking, sweating. <laughs> Maybe shaking, who knows. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty nice neighborhood, though. And Libby is, like, giddy. Like, of course she would be. Like, her whole status of life is changing. She talks about bra sweat. We can all relate there. It's yep. the fucking pain of our existence. And thighs chafing. Ugh. She was wearing a skirt, so it's like thigh-on-thigh contact. Wet thigh-on-thigh contact. Not the good kind of wet either. Just sweat. Ugh. It's not good for friction. We find out the house has 12 rooms. It's a nice fucking house. Yeah. <laughs> Big fucking eyes, but it's a nice fucking fish. I don't know why I think of that scene in Bad Boys like every single day. Not including the basement. Like, insane. Do you, Does that also include like the secret rooms up the secret passageway? Oh, they don't mention that. The house is boarded up. Yeah, they're talking about how nobody's been in there for a while. Like, there were some emergency plumbers a few years ago, but like, ever since everybody went missing, this house has been boarded up. It sounds really fancy. Like, it's old, but fancy. Like, they have statues carved into the banisters of the fucking staircase. Like, a, a head of some animal. I can't remember what it was. It's, it's one of those houses where the walls, like, half the wall is like wood decor and the other half is like fancy wallpaper but the wallpaper's been like ripped off like it's a fancy house that went through some shit Libby thinks there's too much wood and she thinks it seems like a coffin and I'm really just imagining in my head I'm in the house of the lady from um Annalise Keating is that her name oh yeah I'm picturing her staircase there's lots of wood on that yeah but I mean, that was, like, a really small house compared to this. So, anyway, they're just walking through it. They notice that there's a staff staircase at the end of page 23. And he talks about how it goes to the smaller rooms on the attic floor. And there's a hidden door on the second floor landing. And he says, that's very normal for houses like this. And I'm like, holy fuck, that's, that must be how that body popped out in the final episode of the watcher of a hidden door on the little landing on the second floor of the staircase yes fucking creepy i think about that scene all the time sometimes i'll be walking back to the bed after going to the bathroom in the middle of the night and there's this i sleep with the nightlight so there's just one small corner of the room that is like pitch black and i'll like kick at it to make sure nobody's there (laughs) (laughs) anyway i am traumatized from that final episode of the watcher so we find out on page 24 that like these people literally had to sell all of their furniture to stay alive and, like, buy food, I assume. And this is completely at odds with the picture she had in her mind of her parents. She thought they were, like, this wealthy family that, like, just didn't have a lot of troubles, it seems like. Then she says, was there anything else apart from the suicide note? And I felt like this was the first time we heard about the suicide note. Yeah. Mr. Royal says, nothing really, but they did find this box in your crib, and it seems like it was meant for you. And it's a fucking rabbit's foot. This freaked me out. She kind of freaks out about it, too. She, like, reaches her hand to the box, doesn't really know what it is, pulls it out, sees what it is, drops everything. Somebody obviously left that there for her, and obviously there was some weird hippie shit going on in this cult house that we don't understand yet. And Libby- So weird. Right. And Libby also finds out that her name was Serenity. And that sounds like there were some people helping them pick out that name if Henry and Lucy were the first two children. Yeah. 
I can't even imagine how I would feel in her shoes. Like she just got a house. She just found out that her parents killed herself when she was 10 months old. Could you imagine knowing that your parents killed themselves when you were a baby? baby? Like, was I the worst baby in the world? Who knows? You probably shouldn't blame yourself, but I probably would. I probably would. Think of all that trauma. She's got so much trauma. She's about to get a lot more, I think. Yeah. So now we're with Lucy in chapter five. And her and Marco are arguing still he noticed the message on the phone and he wants to know what it is lucy's trying to act like it's not a big deal he kind of yells and she doesn't want to tell him we find out here that he's 12 because of this conversation but you also see that lucy is keeping a lot of fucking secrets she's keeping secrets from marco she's probably keeping secrets from stella who is five because that's how five-year-olds have to live their lives but i assume that she has to keep some part of her life secret from every single person she meets yeah and uh man i thought this was pretty interesting for marco so maybe maybe she's not one of the kids because she was like oh you know a lot about me and he goes what do i know this is what i know that your parents died when you were a baby you grew up in london with your aunt she brought you to france and taught you to play fiddle and died when you were 18 see she could have lied about the parents. Yeah. yeah. And Bernie is probably the aunt. I feel like I blew right past the aunt thing and I would have figured out that Lucy was not Bernie way faster. But yeah, that's not a lot to know about your mom. No. Like you w- so basically she ends up like just to get him to stop asking, telling him that she'll tell him everything once they're able to get back to London. And they're just talking about how she doesn't have money and Marco's like, call dad, meaning his dad. And this foreshadowing of course but this bothered me when she's like no way and marco says we can just meet somewhere in public he wouldn't try anything then and i'm like he wouldn't try anything what he what do you mean he wouldn't what kind of things would he try not in public Mm -hmm. but we know now we know all the things you're thinking yep so then Marco kind of confesses that his dad has been picking him up from school a couple of times and he didn't tell. And he also knows that his dad is in town in the house they used to live in for the whole summer. And he kind of kept it a secret because he thought his mom would be upset for obvious reasons. He's a fucking abuser. But Lucy kind of by the end of this page or chapter decides that she's going to go to Marco's dad and he should pay for her fiddle to get fixed because fuck him. That's why. He's the reason why she's in this situation. Yeah. And (laughs) the top sentence on page 30, not the first sentence, but the second sentence, it says her son always puts the unpalatable bottom line into words and slaps around the face with it. And I just think that that's what it's like being around 12 to 15 year olds. Yes. (laughs) They're fucking dicks. By the end of the chapter, Marco's just saying, like, she's telling him everything's going to get better. And he's like, well, to get better, but it's never going to be normal, is it? And she thinks, no, it probably won't. So they're sad. Their whole life is sad. And the chapters are hard to read. They're only going to get harder. Yeah. Now we're back in Chelsea in 1988. Mm-hmm. And it says Birdie came first. Birdie Dunlop Evers. And apparently she is a uh, fiddle-playing rock star. I was really laughing. 
like at the end of page six because he just isn't doing her any favors with his description of her no he says small blue eyes with thin pencil eyes of lines of eyebrow above a hard mouth which didn't quite close properly over a row of small teeth a weak <sighs> chin that appeared to have buckled under the joylessness of her face <laughs> this kid's 12 he's not even 12 he's almost 11 at this point he does not like her it's so funny. And, I mean, he, he just got bad vibes from her right away, and I wish somebody else in the house would have, and not just him. So, basically, she's there because um, his mom loves her, and somehow they bumped into each other and decided Birdie was going to film a music video in their awesome home. Henry's thinking that his dad is probably chill with it at this point because he loves showing off how fancy his life and his house are. So, of course, he's allowing it. And... Henry's not chill with this from day one. And he's really bothered on the top of page 33 because the whole time Birdie's like in there talking, whatever. She left like dry skin behind. That's she so has gross. a habit of picking the dry skin off of her fingers and just flakes are always flaking off. Ugh. So we end this chapter with Birdie still in the house weeks after her video dropped. It ended up being a really successful video. Henry was hoping that her and her buddies would leave. That didn't happen, and it's the beginning of the cults. We're back with Libby in Chapter 7, and she's kind of thinking about... Oh my her, god, this this page made me laugh. Her life expectations? Yes. Her standards are so low, are they not? So low. <laughs> oh my she's, gosh. She's 25, and she's literally, like, got her 10-year plan planned out. Like, these next five years, she's going to spend meeting, like, the literally most perfect guy ever just just let just to let everybody out there know they don't exist you kind of are gonna have to teach them yeah all of them no matter how good they were trained they they don't fully mature until they're 43 you're gonna have to teach them some stuff yeah <laughs> so she's already thinking about hyphenating her last name yep the man that she's looking for is going to have smile lines and a dog or cat an interesting surname <laughs> nice shoes beautiful skin no tattoos a nice mom and attractive feet <laughs> he needs to be at least 5'10 but preferably 5 feet 11 or over no baggage and a good car and maybe some abs when it hurt <laughs> listen honey you're getting abs or you're getting a good job you're not having both yep <laughs> yep i mean unless they're famous or rich for some other reason yep <laughs> so like, the, the, the only reason that she's still single at this point, from my standpoint, is because her standards are too low. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think that you should lower your standards at all. But, like, she's, she's, she's really – that's a lot, man. I just feel like – Makes me think of Practical Magic <laughs> when she wrote out, like, what her perfect man would be so she wouldn't fall in love. Oh, my gosh. Well, this this will do it. And mm – -hmm. Having super high expectations means you're ignoring a bunch of people that would probably be good. And I mean, those guys who are perfect on paper often don't have a fucking personality, but you yeah. do you. You know, she didn't even put that in there. Right? No personality, just what he looks like and what he brings to the table. table. They might hang out. They might be friends, but that's not priority number one. <laughs> Who's going to give her a good last name and make sure they have the life they want? <laughs> Dating just sounds wonderful. <laughs> she's talking about how um, she's not in a rush. She hasn't really found one yet. 
So she's just going to keep on going to social gatherings and keep herself together. Keep, keep, keep it right, you know, keep it tight. Because she has five years. <laughs> yep. Because then... And then another five years, she wants to have a baby. Oh, Libby, I remember being 25, too. Okay, I remember. We're back to talking about the heat by the middle of page, what page is this? 35. 35. I have a sticky note covering the number, of course. And it's hot as shit in there. She literally has a window open because it's too fucking hot. So once again, this heat. And what I learned about England is they don't have AC. Yeah. Their houses are weird, too. Like, they have doors on all their rooms. Yeah. Also, I had to look up Lisa Jewell because, like, she has the tiniest little background blurb on her. Like, she's like, book. Don't, don't ask about me. Read the book. But she is from London, and I feel like she probably knows what she's talking about because I was really getting thrown for a loop when they kept getting coffee and not tea. I feel oh. like everybody has told me forever that they drink tea and not coffee there, and America is trashy McTrasherson for drinking so much coffee. Yeah. So anyway, she ends up, like, waking up, going to work, and even though it's hot as shit, her office is cold. She wishes she would have brought a cardigan, and I'm like, God, offices are always like that, and I think it's because your boss wants to make sure you're working and not sleeping. It feels like some sort of microaggression. Yeah. Libby ends up telling her, like, coworker, who she really just considers a coworker at this point, Dito, about the house. She doesn't really tell her anything crazy. She just says, I've inherited a house. And she tells her that it's huge and stuff. And she's trying to let it, like, sink in. It's weighing on her mind. Like, I think that's what the point of this chapter is, is just that Libby is very confused about what she's going to do with the house. And she's just going to act like everything's normal until, like, money hits her account or she has moved in. Yeah. Because this can't be fucking real. Yeah. And then she ends up telling Dito about the history. And Dito's like, oh, no way. And so Dito's like, are you going to stop selling kitchens? Yeah. And she doesn't really tell her the history yet. She just says it has one. She's kind of like People died there. Yeah. Yeah. And saying people died there is a far cry from a cult committed mass suicide in there, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know? And I don't even think I would have told my coworkers this. No. Do you think she's kind of crazy for continuing to be at work? Because she's like, if I got this kind of news, I wouldn't be here. But I kind of feel like that's wrong because she is rich and she is there. We find out later that work is a hobby for her. Yeah. And her family's very wealthy, but Libby's really confused. She's very giddy, but it hasn't, the reality of the sitch hasn't really hit her yet. And like really the full reality has not hit her at all. She probably doesn't think people are living in her house yet. <laughs> no. We're in chapter eight now with Marco and Lucy. They ended up spending the night on the beach because the rain kind of died down and they were able to like leave their little underpass or whatever they were under. Lucy's able to scrounge up some change and get them some croissants and a coffee and they go and pick up Stella. She's been like showered. Her grandma tries to keep her an extra day. Lucy feels like people probably think that she kidnapped Stella because Stella's clean and her and Marco haven't had a shower in forever. Their hair is all matted and this it just the whole situation really breaks my heart Stella's grandma did give her some money. Yes yes and that's how they're able to go like go buy lunch and stuff. Yeah, and get their clothes washed. They're just doing errands, basically. And she notices a fancy restaurant, and she's like, oh, I used to eat there all the time. And she's, like, thinking about the fancy clientele. And I'm like, oh, she used to be fancy. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then they end up sneaking behind the hostess of this fancy restaurant to go to their club to use the showers for her, Marco, and the dog. And they probably have the best shower of their fucking life. That's and what I was thinking. This is where we find out she's nearly 40 years old. Not even the person she says she is. She says even her name is fake. A ghost. A living, breathing ghost. They get dressed and go back out to the world. To go They're- see Marco's dad. Yep, she's feeling a little better, but I don't think anything can prepare you to go visit your abusive ex and ask them for a favor, especially when they're the kind of man that he turns out to be. Yeah. We go back in time for chapter nine. Um, We're back with Henry. And basically, another person is showing up. It's Bertie's beloved, Justin. And... It's very important that we know that he is her partner and not her boyfriend, okay? It's very, there's a distinction <laughs> that is important to them anyway. And, that's and, what, and I was like, wow, even in the 80s. Right. <laughs> she, she's a feminist, okay? Yeah. So they need a, somewhere to stay for a few days. They got kicked out because they had a cat. And Henry's almost 11. He's like, why the fuck would you buy a cat without asking if you could have a cat at a place that you rent? Okay, he's Henry. smart. He is he's smart. smart. He's the only smart one here. And I feel so bad for him because he's like, I feel like when bad things happen to you and you're like not expecting it, that's one thing. But when you're like watching the bad thing coming from a mile away and there's nothing that you as a 10 year old can do to stop it, that feels worse. Like the dread is there the whole time. <laughs> and that's what's going on in his life. He hates this shit. His mom is like, don't even fret. We have so many rooms. Why shouldn't these people come stay with us? Them and their cat. And that's what happens. This is how you know these motherfuckers are rich. Because when Justin and Birdie and their cat show up, his mom's like, show them up to the yellow room. Like, (laughs) when you have so many rooms, you have to color code them. Because, like, in a house, there's a spare room. Like, A, one. (laughs) You can go to the one. (laughs) So, they... Take them up to the freaking yellow room, and the yellow room is up in, like, the hidden staircase, like, what would have been the servants' quarters. And Bertie's obviously offended by this, that they're getting, like, put in the back of the house. But, like, quite frankly, Bertie, you showed up homeless on their doorstep two seconds ago. You're lucky you're not still homeless, okay? Exactly. And it's, like, the biggest room back there, and it's decorated still. Like, it's still a nice room, and it's, like, in their own private section of the house. Like, seems legit to me. And they drop them off in their little room and Henry goes straight down to the kitchen, starts complaining to his mom. Not really complaining. His complaining is like very tactful. Like how long are they going to be here? And of course, Bertie catches him asking if they could just leave. And she says, we shan't be staying long little boy. Ugh, very condescending. Henry Mm. is a tough little kid. And is like, my name's Henry bitch. I added the bitch, but I wish he could have said it. The, sister is staring at the cat so Bertie asks if she wants to hold it and Henry like observes Bertie hand the cat to Stella and then the cat scratches Stella and we think her name's Stella wait did I just name her yeah why did I come up with that anyways Bertie hands the sister the cat where did I come up with Stella Stella is Lucy's Lucy's daughter. daughter shit this is definitely not Stella we got a lot of names going on so The sister takes the cat. The cat scratches her. And from Henry's, like, vantage point, it seems like the way Bertie handed the kid the cat was 
like to have the cat scratch her. Like he felt like the cat could have been passed over to the kid in a more like safe way to not promote scratching. Cause cats, you know, yeah. when they start feeling scared, they freaking stretch their claws out. Mm-hmm. Henry, by the time they like end this interaction, he's like shitting his pants because he gets anxiety. Like I get anxiety. And he's talking about how the chocolate that they brought was sitting on the counter the next day and he really wanted to just open them at that time when he's like sitting there looking at the chocolates thinking about opening them the cat comes in and he hisses at the cat (laughs) and they're as they're like describing the cat coming in and him feeling this rage blah blah blah. i'm like oh my god don't kick the cat henry but thank god he just hisses at it he's thinking about how it's almost a relief to go to school that day And he's excited that soon he'll be going to school and not have to wear the stupid fucking pants he has to wear. And he's just reminiscing on how his worries were kind of petty because he never went back to school and things just got way fucking worse. We leave Henry like that, just thinking about how, thank God he gets to go to school. And we jump into chapter 10 with Libby. And she's basically just decides to look up her history this chapter. She gets herself a cola and starts googling shit that's all this chapter is we don't find out what she learns we just know that she intends to learn Mm -hmm. she types in martina and henry lamb and the article she picks is the mysterious case of serenity lamb and the rabbit's foot very interesting but we don't find out what's in that yet no chapter 11 we're back with lucy marco and stella And they pull up to Michael Rimmer's house, which is Marco's dad. He's got a Maserati, a red one. It's ostentatious. And Lucy automatically thinks in her head, that's rented. She tells Marco, don't be impressed. That shit's rented. He's just a big fat phony. He's like, um, what's that lady who scammed her friend on that trip? Anna Delvey. Anna Delvey. He's a little Anna Delvey. So they, like, knock on the door, ring the doorbell, whatever, and basically, like, a maid comes to the door and tells them that Marco's dad is out in the garden. He's got a freaking Maserati, a garden, and a maid. Like, he's, how is it that his son is homeless? Yeah. It's fucking crazy. That's kind of something that pisses me off throughout this whole thing. Like, she asks for $100, and he gives her, like, 160 Well, it's euros, but you, you know. And... Mm-hmm. All the while he knows his son is homeless. Like, bro, how how are you renting a Maserati but not, like, a studio efficiency for these people? But she probably doesn't want to be financially dependent on him anyways. It's just interesting to see that his son is homeless, but he has a Maserati. Well, and I'm also wondering why doesn't he pay child support? Right, like, nothing. And, of course, she couldn't sue for child support because she's there on a fake passport in a country that she traveled to illegally. Mm-hmm. So she's going out to the garden and thinking about just basically that he was an abusive narcissist in the middle of page 51. She's thinking about, cause she's walking through the house that they used to live together and like just every like room nook and cranny is reminding her of a different violent episode when he pushed her down the staircase and she ended up with a broken arm and a fractured rib. She was four months pregnant with Marco when that happened. She sees a spot in the wall on the corridor where Michael banged her head repeatedly because he had a bad day at work. It says, or so he explained. And an hour later, 
when he was trying to stop her from leaving because he loved her so much and he couldn't live without her. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. So Michael's out there and he's really excited to see her. He jumps up. He's sucking in his tan stomach, she says. So he's just a very vain guy who likes everybody to think he's very rich and has it all made. She ends up, um, like, introducing him to Stella. He's never met Stella before. And she gives Marco a hug. And he says hi to the dog, even. Like, he's just being very fucking charming right now. And... The way he's, like, interacting with her right now, he just keeps asking her these short little questions, and she's, like, giving him the answers, and she's thinking, like, this is the way he used to try to make me feel stupid by asking me these questions. He ends up getting them some juice, all of them, her and the kids, and sits down and says, so, Lucy Lou, how the hell have you been? And I, why, does she like this nickname? I don't I feel like if her name was Lucy Lou, that's what her name would be. So anyways, they're just chatting. He wants to know if she's married, of course. He's like, oh, so you're a single mom? Like, yeah, she's been a single mom this whole fucking time. Like, her not being married to Stella's dad isn't the reason she's a single mom. You guys not being married is the reason she's a single mom, Michael, you idiot. So anyways, she ends up telling him that she needs her fiddle. She just doesn't have the money to repair it. And he gives her the money for the fiddle and a little extra. He says, maybe a haircut for my boy. He looks at her and the disappointment in her eyes just reminds her of like probably something he said to her a million times. You've let yourself go. You're not trying hard enough. How can I love you when you don't make any fucking effort? And the way it's written in the book seems like that's a memory. He said that to her probably a lot of times. Yeah. So she like takes the money and they end up talking about his wife. Like, where is she when she's going to be back? And he says she had heavily italicized here, important business to attend to in the UK. Like he doesn't think women should have anything to do other than like please him in the way that he wants in that moment. And uh, how dare she act like she's not just property. His wife not being there is important for later things that are coming on. We find out here he's basically there writing a semi-autobiographical book. Nobody cares about your life, Michael Remmer, but maybe. No. He says, you guys should come hang out at the pool on page 56. Like, I'm going to have a lot of downtime. Why don't you guys hang out with me? And Lucy automatically flashes back to being held underwater in that pool and feeling like she was going to die. She's thinking about how afterward he says, I could have killed you. If I'd wanted, you know that, don't you? I could have killed you, but I couldn't be bothered. Mm. Fucking gross. She finally gets out after having him ask her to come back, like, anytime, basically. Like, we all know that he is going to cheat on his wife and he wants to. You can tell just basically by the way this conversation is going. Yeah. (laughs) As they're leaving, the dog shits on the side of the house and she leaves it because fuck him. That's why. She had a baggie. She was getting ready to clean it up. And then she's like, you know what? Nah. (laughs) She'll let the sun sit on it. Yep. I hope it stinks. She's hoping he steps in it. (laughs) So we get to chapter 12. And Libby decides to cancel her attendance of a friend's barbecue to go check out the house. Because she can't stop thinking about the house after reading the article she read. And... She goes. She has to, like, ride a train to get there. It's not very close to her. But um, she gets there, 
and she unlocks the door and she says she's alone. And I said, I hope she's alone. She's just kind of like thinking about the article as she walks through the house, you know, like just like picturing the things that they described in the article. And this is where we kind of learn what was in it. Like the cops notice the sound of flies. They um, see the dead bodies. They notice that everybody's wearing like all black and they find out later that that's all handmade. And they notice that there's a suicide note. There's a mention of the baby. And when they go upstairs, they hear the baby, they find her and she's bonnie as anything. The cop said, this is the late eighties. And they say she just wants to get out. She's trying to pull up at the crib and they didn't know what to do. Should they touch her, touch her? Is she evidence? And they end up just like standing there and talking to her and waiting for like a professional baby crime scene person to come. Like what a fucking wild experience to be going through. It is. I thought it was interesting on uh, page 59, how they say that the bodies were in early stages of decaying. So how long were they there for? Yes, it's been a while. It's a call from a concerned neighbor, but they never traced who the neighbor was. That's how they found out about this home. And that baby had been cared for while those bodies were in there. Yeah. Like just the way everything looked like that baby hadn't been neglected for a few days while the bodies decayed. Honestly, I'm wondering if those, the kids or the other people living there could have been hiding in the attic rooms while this was happening, but Mm. who knows? They mentioned on page 61, how there's just like a ton of people coming and going children, other people, according to the neighbors. And then the house was filled with untraceable bloodstains and DNA and hairs and fibers and strange notes and scribbles on the walls. And I'm like, this is so Manson-y. The suicide note is fucking weird. It says, we are setting ourselves free from these broken bodies, from this despicable world, from pain and disappointment. Our baby is called Serenity Lamb. She is 10 months old. Please make sure she goes to nice people. Peace, always. H-L-M-L-D-T. We can assume that this is Henry Lamb. Uh, gosh, I feel like I just breezed Martina past. Lamb. Martina Lamb. And I mean, Dave we're gonna, Thompson. Yeah, we're going to learn about Dave Thompson soon. Like, Are we going to talk more about this death? Which death? All three. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you have some thoughts right now? Well, I just don't want to forget them. Oh, it's coming up again. Okay. Um, because we haven't really learned about david yet at this point in the reading we have no idea who dt could have been you know yeah i personally think that whoever killed these people put the dt initials on them to throw them off and that's not actually david because like why would his wife not kill himself herself with them and he was like the powerful guy of the house yeah I think he's alive and well somewhere still. Libby's kind of looking around, and then all of a sudden she hears some fucking noises, like some movement from upstairs. And, like, it's repetitive, like a dull thump. And she freaks the fuck out and starts wondering, it's got to be, like, Mr. Royal, the solicitor. And she calls out for him, and nobody says anything. And she's like, she feels like the silence is intentional, not like, 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 You know what I'm saying. So Mm -hmm. she's obviously thinking about all the crazy shit 
that she read in that article, how there were children that fled the house, that somebody must have stayed behind to care for the baby, the scribbles and the fabric strip hanging from the radiator. What is that? Is that like something to hold people down with? There are scratches gouged into the walls. She thinks the note is weird that her parents left. And she just really fucking freaked out. Then she hears somebody cough. And she books it. Yeah, she just takes the fuck off. She's like, whatever, I'll sell this house. I don't care what I get from it. I will just go to my friend's party and marry the guy she wants me to meet. And that'll be my life. And that's a good enough life for me because I'll be alive. (laughs) And uh, texts her friend and says, I'll be there in an hour. (laughs) She's not fucking with this house anymore. It's too scary. That's the end of that chapter. We're back with Lucy and she got her fiddle back. And she gets to go back to work and she's feeling a lot better, you know? Like, she's thinking about how this time of night, it's, like, dinner time. People aren't really drunk, so they don't tip that well. She's going to stay out here, and she's going to work until she has enough money for them to stay in their rented room for a week. 15 euros a night, so she needs, like, 105 euros, basically. And I'm glad you did the math, because I was not going to. I don't know if I did the math right. That was really fast. Let me get a calculator and actually check that out. Oh, I'm a fucking genius. 105 it is there you go i did some of that new age math i feel like i did seven times 10 plus seven times five 70 plus 35 that's how it worked out in my brain oh there you go um so she made 70 euros which is pretty fucking good because she started this day with literally barely enough change to buy a couple croissants and a coffee and honestly that sounds like a lot of change that would be 15 bucks yeah So that's a pretty good night. And she goes back to basically where she left a week ago. They've been on the streets for a week. The conditions, it's not a nice house. It's like a house where they rent out one room. You have to share a bathroom with the other tenants. They get like one double bed for them to share. It's kind of like a brothel, I feel like. Yeah. Or a hostel. Yeah. It's not great. But the guy who runs it, Giuseppe, he's not the owner anymore, but he's like the manager now. He's a good friend, and he is, like, very happy to see Lucy and her family when they get there. They work out a discounted rate for a room that has, like, something wrong with it. And she sits down in Giuseppe's house that night. He gives them some dinner, like, some nice hot dinner. Charges her phone because she was stressed out about it. Had been only on 8% the past couple days. She's just starting to feel much more settled down, you know. And when she charges her phone, the notification's still there. The baby is 25. Yeah, she hasn't gotten rid of it yet. So we end this chapter with um, all three of them in a tiny double bed in their dark room. But it's theirs, and she's feeling like they can start working towards uh, their end goal, which is getting back to London. Or maybe not London, but England somewhere. And then chapter 14, we're back with Henry. By September 8th, 1988... They're not doing well financially already. It's only been a couple of months. It's at this point. We already know that Henry Sr. had a stroke, right? We find out on the next page. On page 71 of this chapter. Up until that stroke, he was probably still thinking with his faculties. Yeah. But the faculties failed him before then because Bertie and Justin lived there already. But by September, Bertie and Justin had already, like, spent so much of their money or convinced them to spend so much of their money that they can't afford the fancy school that the kids have been going to. They're looking at public schools. And 
Henry is like worried that he's going to get teased and also thinking, reflecting back about how he was worrying about that. And it was such silly trifling worries. We also kind of find out on page 71 that Justin is going to help the family stop taking pills and use herbs. He has an herb garden. So he's going to, this is a country full of pill takers. I'm going to get you guys off the pills. That should have been their first red flag. Right. They get him off the pills and the dad has a stroke at the bottom of page 71. Henry feels like it's it's really hard to see him his dad like diminished and it makes him feel really unprotected and now they need somebody to come take care of his dad but doctors are expensive man and the guy who's recommending he gets one of these says they're bloody awful so Bertie of course says well I know someone he's a miracle worker he uses energy he can move chi around people's bodies yeah, um, yeah so he's coming David Thompson And, of course, that's a DT, who we assume is the DT on the suicide note. His mom, at the bottom of page 72, is just, like, having a normal day. And then, ding dong, the fucking doorbell rings, and Mr. Thompson, his wife, and their two kids are all there. And Henry gets a little crush. Yeah, he does. It's pretty cute. Very important before he gets the crush though we find out that him and his sister are now not even going to go to public school the mom of this new family is going to homeschool them and i'm like this is a bloody cult this is it this is how it starts (laughs) and then we find out on this chapter the names of these people's children clemency and phineas and i feel like they definitely picked out serenity for libby's real name yeah but phineas is the boy he's about henry's age and yeah henry's taken he describes the dad david as like very intense hard handshake kind of dude he insists on taking them all out for dinner page 74 is just henry thinking about how finn looks and how he wants to look like him and just like comparing himself to finn and like feeling like he'll never be as effortlessly as cool as finn is and it's really cute it is He says, he really was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen in my life. Very cute. On page 75, Henry's like, what can I tell you about David Thompson from my perspective? Then, as a young boy, basically that he was handsome, traditionally. um, But it seems like people almost, like, deferred to David. And Henry hates him already. He feels like he makes his dad look small. And he probably does that to everybody in his life. It's probably because he doesn't have a lot to offer except being intimidating, but whatever. We kind of learn on page 76 that he just feels electrified when Finn is around. And just so stinging cute. We also learn that Henry just is like looking at David versus his dad and how his dad is just awkward and he doesn't dress as cool and he feels like there's already a power struggle between him and David going on in the house mm-hmm. which makes me feel more like David and Henry Sr. would not have had a suicide pact together if they were power yeah. struggling but anyway yeah. we're on chapter 15 so chapter 15 we're back with Libby and she goes into work a little bit late because she didn't sleep very well last night And this is the chapter where her and, like, Dito basically go from coworkers to friends because Libby gets in that day, stressed the fuck out, and Dito notices and asks about it. And at first, Libby's like, I can't talk to you. But then she realizes while she was at the party the other night, she couldn't talk to anybody there either. 
And maybe this person who has had a lot of life experiences, like, she kind of thinks about all the shit that has gone through her life, but, like, one of the ones that sticks out with me is, like, her brother died recently. So she's been through a lot of stuff in life, and Libby's thinking, if anybody's going to give me good advice or not judge me, it's going to be this girl. So she says, hey, I've got a lot going on right now. Do you think we could talk about it? And Dito's like, yeah, come to my house for dinner. And so they make plans to have dinner at Dito's house. And her house is amazing. It's a cottage, very fucking fancy. She's got a Fiat Spider convertible top. You know, everybody's got fancy cars in this. I had to stop here and wonder if this is normal because Libby takes a picture of the car in the house because they just look so good together because she's going to post it on her Instagram later. And I'm like, do people take pictures of other people's cars and houses and post it on their Instagram? Is that a thing? Yeah, I thought that was weird too. And didn't Dito get her house inherited too? Yes, that's something they actually talk about on the next page. Um, Look at me jumping ahead. Yeah, foreshadowing. So basically they're talking about how Dito's parents are going to donate their actual physical house to charity because she lives in this cottage. And then you find out that this cottage was her mom's house and they were going to give the cottage to Dito when they died and they were going to leave the house to her brother, but then her brother died. So they decided to give it to charity. And it's like, they're that wealthy that they had a house and a cottage and the cottage is like nice. And when they die, they're so fucking wealthy that they don't need to leave that house. Anybody it can go to charity because everybody will still be fine. Yeah. (laughs) Libby takes a moment to let that sink in. She's come to the right place for advice on this. She really has. And Dito is like a good friend. Like Libby's telling this story and the whole time Dito's like, what? No, tell me more. That can't be true. And I fucking love it. She's like so excited about this hot tea. The tea is hot. (laughs) So Libby just tells her how like glamorous her mom was and basically that her dad was like an anxious looking short dude. And tells her that she had her brother and sister. She also mentions as, mentions that they were like a very like famous family, but the last like known photo of them out in public was 7 years before they died. I thought that was so weird. Yeah, so they were like boarded up in that house with that cult for 7 years. I mean, I think Henry said that they were there for 5 years too, so we knew that this was about the amount of time, but sheesh. Libby's trying to work through everything that's going on. She's talking about how there were other people in the house, but they just disappeared. And um, she tells him about the rabbit's foot that was tucked into her blankets. Dito says, for luck. And Libby's like, I suppose so. They start talking about the other guy who was found with them. And Libby kind of says, like, they don't know who he is. They never figured it out. But maybe they were gypsies. And then... Libby tells her that she went to the house to investigate and then she thought she heard somebody moving around and Dito says maybe it was the neighbors. Libby tells her like I kind of wanted to sell this fucking house and be done with it because like it's too fucking weird but Dito's like you know what you should do very smart advice find the investigative journalist who was reporting on your case and see if he wants to like help you investigate more has any ideas just whatever and I'm like this is brilliant first of all Could you imagine being the investigative journalist who's, like, person you were investigating 20 years ago? Like, they call you? The baby called you? That would be insane. That's a reporter's wet dream right there. I can only imagine. Like, 
<laughs> this guy is amped too. He's in it to win it. He's helping them investigate the house in later chapters. I love it. I personally think that Libby and Miller are going to be like a thing. Yeah. He might be a little older than her, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, I feel like it's also kind of like, um, shit. You know, in movies where the girl falls in love with her savior mm-hmm. and he falls in love with the girl that he's rescuing and how it yes. like, doesn't work out. Oh, it might not. Because there's that like, I don't know what the complex is called, but there's like a certain complex with it. I was thinking though, like trauma bond, because there's going to be some yeah. scary shit going on in this house, but who knows what's going to happen. So we're in chapter 16 and we're back with Lucy and she has a passport that's expired. She has another fucking problem, just like the broken fiddle, the exact thing her ex is just waiting for her to have, you know, she's kind of like reminiscing on how she got this passport that's now expired and how her and Michael's like relationship started out and he was like her savior and she just adored him she like felt like he didn't judge her and every time she had a problem he just fixed it and like she didn't have a passport and he's like how do you not have a passport how did you get here and she's like i was just in a car and they drove us over and then we were here and uh, (laughs) okay so he just finds her a passport and this is definitely henry's little sister They took him and her out of that fucking house and drove them to England. Yeah. I don't think by choice. No. But she trusted him. He was tall. He was nice. He was American. I don't know if that's a winning thing, but he had a nice smile. And he was her hero. I'm wondering if him being American was something for her to trust because she's probably like, why would he lie? Americans aren't liars. Ha, 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 ha. Or at the very least, it was something different and exciting, you know? Yeah. So she just really fucking trusted him. And, like, man, that's how they get you. She told him everything about her story. And he basically just said, it's okay. You're safe now. And he got her the passport. And they just went on with their life. And they went to the Maldives. Mm -hmm. They did some fun shit. So she realizes that there are only a couple ways for her to get a new passport, and one of them is dangerous and stupid, and one of them is just stupid. Yeah, um, also, the last paragraph, 87 to 88, about her leaving in England, and it's about her leaving England 24 years ago. She replays those last moments as she replayed them a thousand times. The sound of the door clicking behind her for the very last time, whispering, I'll be back soon, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you under her breath a dozen times as she ran down that street. So then that's when I was like, oh, that must be the sister. I'm saying, is this Libby's mom? Because, like, even if it is the sister, that just feels like a very maternal thing to say. Yeah. I hope it's not the sister and the mom. I hope they're not the same person. I know. Ew. Yeah. That's my fear, and that's been my fear since I read the prologue, that one of the children had a baby. Yeah. Ugh. Just, there's no way Lisa's going to take us there. I hope not. I hope not, too. So we're on Chapter 17 with Henry back in 1998, in, or 1988, sorry, in Chelsea. 
And he's talking about how it was almost two weeks before Finn talked to him. I love the second paragraph of this. He's talking about how he's learned that if he wants to know what's what in life, he needs to be around the women who are talking. True. He says, anyone who ignores the chatter of women is poorer by any measure. I love it. So we find out here on this page 89 that Bertie's been there for five months and the Thompsons have been there for two weeks. And like every time they have a housing possibility, it falls through and it falls through like in a very predictable way every time. Like this time on page 90, they're talking about going and moving on to a houseboat. And mind you, it's them, the husband and wife, their two kids. And there's one bedroom in this houseboat and it's full of vivariums. I don't know what that is. Do you know what it is? No, I was wondering if it was like, no, I think those are called gerarium. I don't know. No, I don't. Right. It's got to be something in a glass case, like an arium. All the, all the ariums. Yeah. So it is some kind of aquarium or terrarium. I don't know what they have in there, but they have some kind of aquarium type things everywhere so like it would literally be the kids sharing a room and the parents sleeping on basically the couch out in the living room i'm picturing the Kara that ropa and her family lived in in the library yep. of the dead so yep. yeah so of course the mom like the matriarch of the actual house martina is like you guys can't do that you guys the the Kids don't want to sleep in the same room. They have a very big age gap. The kids, the older one's a teenager. The younger one's six. And um, we have tons of room. Like, you guys just stay here. We're not even going to hear about it. And then that's it. That's it. And they're going to stay a little bit longer. Henry hates watching this happen. He says it was a record-breaking eight-minute conversation this time. <laughs> so that was probably the quickest turnaround he'd witnessed to that point. When we first talked about this, did we say that we think the prologue is written by, like, a diary Harry as he's older or, like, as it's happening? Because hmm. if it's happening as – if he's writing this as it's happening, he is a very smart child. Yeah. So I think he's writing this as, like, an adult writing a diary, but I think that he is having these thoughts as a child. And I feel like okay. he's remembering having these thoughts. That's the way I took it anyway okay because in the way that he asks questions of his parents it seems like he is having those thoughts you know yeah but his idea is that the, these people are just in his fucking space at in his little 10 year old mind it's just annoying he didn't realize it was gonna get as bad as it did you know yeah so on page 91 the the problem of these guys not being able to live on this boat is solved they're staying we learned that birdie is teaching his sister and clemency how to play violin fiddle and they are just the besties the bestest besties ever and henry thinks it's excruciating to listen to them both learn the fiddle he also kind of talks about david he's charismatic but his presence seems to permeate like every inch of the house so that sounds awful. And then, of course, there's Finn, who he loves. Just loves him so much. It's so cute. He does. And Finn walks up to him. Well, they kind of, like, pass by each other. And Finn's like, you know we're here to stay, don't you? And Henry's like, I'm sorry. And Finn's like, just ignore anything my parents say about moving out. We're not going anywhere. You know, we ended up in that house in Brittany for two years. We were only supposed to be there for a holiday. <laughs> Finn's fucking right. He knows exactly what his parents are doing. 
what about school? What about your friends? Finn's like, my mom teaches us. I don't fucking like having friends. And then they end up like talking about this book that Finn's reading. One thing I really liked on 92 that I noted was Henry asked, why don't you guys have your own house? And Finn was like, my dad's too tight to pay rent. Yeah. They had their own house once, but they sold it so they could go traveling. I think that they probably sold it because they were broke and then traveled because they couldn't afford to put roots down anywhere else. But yeah, this is a great spin. This is a great story you're telling, Phineas. But they end up like kind of bonding over this book. Finn has the best fucking line ever. He says all books are good. And then Henry's like, that's not true. I've read some really bad books. Finn's like, they weren't bad books. They were books you didn't enjoy. It's not the same thing at all. The only bad books are books so badly written that no one will publish them. Any book that has been published is going to be a good book for someone. And that's like exactly why I hate giving bad reviews about things. Because if somebody published this shit... It's good. To someone, right? Might not be for you, though. Both of these kids are pretty wise. So we end this chapter just with them talking about how once Finn's done with his book, he will let Henry borrow it. And I'm sure Henry's like, oh my gosh, yes. Yes. I will treasure this forever. He says he stood where he was, his head pulsating, palms damp, heart filled with something extraordinary and new. It's love. That's what it is. So chapter 18, we're back with Libby. She's just meeting Miller Rowe for the first time ever. Yeah. They meet at a coffee shop. Yep. And he's fucking excited, of course. Like, he's talking about how he's been wanting to get into that house for so long that he even tried to break in. (laughs) He said, I was virtually offering the guy, the solicitor, my firstborn. And she ends up telling him she's going to sell it. But she wants to know what happens there. happened there first. And he says, I fucking want to know too. I researched that shit for two years and I found nothing. I got nowhere, destroyed my marriage, fucked up years of my life and figured out nothing. <laughs> and this just made me laugh because like I said, I'm reading that or I'm listening to it on audiobook. But Chaos, the book about Charles Manson, the whole book is framed like from the author's perspective. And he's like telling the story of investigating this and how it started on the 30th anniversary, like the 30th anniversary was coming up and he worked for a newspaper. So he wanted to do a quick article about like Helter Skelter, like their whole like plot on why they did that. And then it turns into him asking for an extension because he keeps finding more and more stuff that was never reported back then. And then like a couple of years later, he gets a deadline from his company because he still hasn't put this article out because there's just so much work going into it. They give him a deadline that cannot be, like, changed because they're under new ownership. And he just fucking quits, works with a new publisher, and turns it into a book instead. Like, <laughs> Oh, my gosh. This, this reminds me of that. I feel like that's how it happens. Yeah. Well, when you're investigating a whole-ass cult that might have been, like, I don't know, basically started by the CIA. Yeah. So, obviously, he's, like jazzed about this as he's sitting there telling her all this stuff and like smiling you know trying to smooth everything over over because this is kind of a tough conversation she thinks he has a nice face and that's when I'm like oh Libby Libby and Miller okay so she like slides the new keys that she just got to the house over to him and he sees the car key and he's telling her that Henry Lamb her dad used to be just like the the bee's knees you know and they are just chatting. He ends up asking what she wants, what's next. And she tells him she wants to find her brother and sister. 
he thinks it's weird that they never tried to get in contact with her, but he also wants to know, like, do they know the house was held in a trust for her? Do they know that she's inherited it? And Libby doesn't know. She tells him that the solicitor told her nobody came to claim the inheritance, and that's how it went to her. And I think that they certainly do know, like, what else does that the baby is 25 mean? Yeah. So she also wants to know about the guy. Um, like, did he find out who it was? And he says no, but he thinks it was David Thompson because of the initials, right? And he even went so far as to get 38 missing person cases from the police with those initials and then go through all of them and eliminate them. And he found that guy. Um, he was from Hampshire, normal upbringing, he says. But there wasn't really a record of him anywhere until 1988. And they just like show up. Him and his wife and kids just show up in 1988. And it says there's literally no trace of any of them from that point onward. Like their their birth documents are basically made that year is what I'm picturing. Mm -hmm. And it says they were loners. There was a huge falling out over an inheritance of some sort. Um, and their family never really looked for them until one day David's mom like filed a missing persons report. And that's why that missing person report existed when he went to go look for it. And he even mentions like Phineas and Clemency are unusual names, but he couldn't even find them. And like, this is the constant chasing down of dead ends is what drove him crazy and ended his marriage. But he's like, you know what? Despite all that, let's fucking do this. (laughs) So yeah, they have that conversation. Right after that, she goes to work. She tells Dito what happened and tells her she's going out to the house. And Dito's like, are you sure you should do that? But she's obviously like being nosy. So she invites her to come along too. So they have this plan that all three of them are going to go out to the house. But I can't get past the fact that she did not mention to Miller that she heard that coughing sound in the house. Like Dito, badass friend. She knows that that house is creepy and still wants to go. Miller going in there without a full scope of the situation. I feel like he would still go anyway. Yeah, me too. But maybe he'd be armed. Nah, this is England. Can you be armed? I don't think you can as just a person. Maybe like with a... BB gun, a little pellet gun. I was thinking that or a slingshot. A slingshot, yeah, for sure. Ropa had a slingshot. Yeah. She called it a caddy. Yeah. That's Scotland. They call it a caddy. In chapter 19, we're with Lucy, and she's leaving before the kids are awake to go talk to Marco's dad by herself about the passports. And when she gets there, the maid, like, greets her, and I just hate that she says, you are the wife of Michael from before. I feel like the way that Michael explained that situation to her probably left out some details. I feel like that too. Yeah. And I feel like probably every single time he talks to anybody, he makes it sound like it's better than it is. So if anything bad happens, he can be like, she's crazy. Yeah. So she ends up sitting and waiting for Michael because he's in the shower and he comes out and he's very excited to see her, of course, even though there's no kids. And she ends up telling Michael she needs to go home because her friend might be dying. And she actually even like cries over this. And I think this is a total lie. (laughs) Totally made up. But maybe it's not. Maybe her friend quote unquote is Libby and she's just thinking of the baby and that's what's bringing on the tears. She brought pictures and everything. She needs passports for her, both kids and the dog. And 
he says he doesn't really know his passport guy anymore, but he's going to try, even though dog passports are really, really hard. He tries to get her to leave the dog with him, but she's like, you're a fucking monster. That's never going to happen. And then basically, after they agree that he's going to try to get the passports, he turns into a slime bag and gives her a look and kind of basically asks, like, what am I going to get for this? Mm-hmm. He looks at the master bedroom. That's when the thought of the marital rapes pass into her head and she just like, ugh. And then he looks back at her and she says, maybe another time. So he's like trying to hint to her that he wants to go upstairs right now. Mm. We already fucking had that vibe from him. So we kind of knew this was coming, but ugh. And then he says, oh, are you incentivizing me? Acting like she fucking brought it up. Like he, everything he does is so that somebody else will be blamed for his bad behavior. I feel like. Yep. Yep. But she plays along and says, like, next time, whatever. He He also keeps asking for her phone number, and she goes, I don't have a cell phone. Yes, and she gets herself caught in a little lie, because right before that, she said she'd gotten a text message from her friend, and he's like, you said you just got a text message. Or you said you just got a message. And she's like, oh, no, that was on the landline. It was written on paper. Like, everything is just, she has to keep herself safe around him. Mm Mm-hmm. So she just makes a plan to call him on Friday. He gives her some more money and says, get yourself a a phone for the love of God. She feels like she just signed her soul away for some passports. Honestly, she probably did. I mean. (sighs) Well, I guess if she doesn't, if she doesn't quote unquote have a cell phone. Yeah. She gets the passports. She doesn't have to ever see him again. Yeah. I feel like he's going to expect her to pay up when she picks up the passports. Yeah. Gross. So chapter 20, we're back in Chelsea, but it's 1989 now. And months and months have passed, it says. Phineas is 13. He's got an Adam's apple and a small blonde mustache. Henry's finally got his hair grown out enough so he can flop it the way Finn does. And he looks cool. Basically, Justin, Birdie, and the Thompsons have settled in. And they've got, like, little businesses going on and shit. And Henry's just thinking how he can look back on those years and just, like, see the turning points and how things just got so fucked up in his life that used to be so peaceful and posh. His dad, like, just seems disinterested, and he just wants to know, like, why his dad is even fucking allowing this to happen. He feels like his dad's a shell of a person. So one day, they finish doing school or whatever, and he notices his dad is leaving. He's going out to his club, and Henry asks to go. He promises he'll be quiet, but then his dad asks, how is he? And Henry says he's confused and ends up like telling his dad that he doesn't understand why these people are here and how their life has gotten to be like this. His dad's basically like, yeah, I get it. Things kind of suck right now. And it's because David makes your mom feel like living and makes her feel not depressed. And basically we got to do whatever we got to do to make the mom not feel depressed and that's why he can't kick david out so his mom has the hots for david yeah and his dad has to live with that yeah and it feels like even more than just the hots like she needs david to breathe like her life has no meaning if david this wonderful miracle worker genius of a man doesn't exist life has no meaning Yeah. So that's very interesting and sad. But then we get back in future or in present times in chapter 21 with Miller, Libby, and Dito all at the house. And 
Dito's impressed. It's a fucking mansion. But they all go in. And Miller is a very handy, like, resource to have because he knows everything. He knows that they had no family. Well, Henry had no family. And Martina's family was estranged. He talks about how, like, there was things in the house, like thrones. Yeah, they had two, like, throne chairs. They're gone now because they had to sell all the furniture. They're, like, going through the dining room because, or the kitchen maybe, and that's where the kids did school, and they're, like, looking for the old textbooks, and they're, like, it was probably police evidence, probably destroyed. And he's talking about what else they took for police evidence, and it was, like, the robes, bedclothes, all the stuff. But one thing that's really weird is that there were no toys, no art on the walls, and no shoes in the house at all. And, like, of course there were no shoes. These people made their own clothes. Shoes are hard to make. Yeah. They probably didn't wear shoes. They probably didn't believe in shoes. I feel like that'll come up later. Or did the people who fled take all the shoes? No, they probably fled barefoot. I think they they ran on barefoot. Yeah. And Miller's talking about how everything they had in the house before they sold it was, like, top of the line. It came from Herod's. Herod's? I was calling it Herod's. I've never even heard of this place, but yeah. must be some upscale store in England. It's just wild that they had to sell all, like, they got so down in the dumps they had to sell all of that. But the one thing they did keep, though, was uh, Baby Henry's crib, because that's where Baby's. she ended up. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Miller says everybody disappeared without a trace. And I'm like, well, they all just hopped in a car and went to France. Mm-hmm. Miller, be serious. They had homemade calisthenics equipment. It was so unusual looking that the police thought they were torture devices. <laughs> like, these people made everything from scratch. Like, it sounds like a great way to live. But, I mean, I'm sure in some situations it is, but this was a cult. Yeah. So, the next thing Miller brings up, because he's really just giving them the history of everything that went on in this house. He knows fucking everything. His marriage ended for this. And... He's like, are the locks still on the kids' doors? Apparently, all of the kids' bedroom doors in the attic had locks on the outside. So they go up to check it out. She finally tells Miller they heard a sound. And as she's telling Miller they heard a sound, they're, like, going through that creepy stairwell that's, like, hidden. And Dito's like, oh, my parents' house used to have one of these. And I would think a scary ghost was going to lock me in. (laughs) (laughs) I would think that, too. So... Olivia's kind of freaking out about all this, but Miller like tries to calm her down because they start hearing noises. And he's like, do you hear that? That's just the sounds that old houses make when they're settling. So anyway, they go upstairs, they're looking around. All of the locks are on the doors still. And even on the bathroom, they can see like gouges in the wall. And he's talking about like, that's where they found the blood and stuff. And then as they're looking in the final room, there's nobody there. Thank fucking God. But Miller finds a sock in there, and it has a current Gap logo on it, meaning somebody's been in the house. Very fucking creepy. Very creepy. That's how the chapter ends, just with them finding that sock with the logo on it. And chapter 22 starts with Lucy calling Michael on Friday afternoon. Just like she told him she would. Just like she told him she would. He's like, did you get yourself a phone yet? And she says, no, it's going to be reconditioned. It's going to be a little while. She's like, just anything to throw him off her scent. And he calls her Lucy Lou again. 
And he's talking about how expensive and difficult it was to get the passport. So expensive that they just threw in the dog one for free. And he's kind of tells her to come around and pick him up when the maid's not there. So they can have some alone time. They'll even cook lunch together. It'll be so fun. This chapter kind of ends with him saying, yeah, your magic touch. I really, really miss your magic touch. And Lucy hangs up the phone and throws up. I do not blame her. Yeah, she knows what she has to do. And getting her and her kids out of France is worth it. Maybe. I hope. I hope too. This book better have a happy ending. Oh my gosh. (sighs) I hope so. So now it's Chelsea 1990, a year later from the last time we saw Henry. He's 13 now. These people have been in their house for two years. And he's just noticing the changes that have happened with his mom. Like she used to have a bob. She was a very chic lady. But now she's got hippie long hair. She doesn't wear makeup. And she's doing laundry. And he's like, we have laundry guys. So he asks, like, why aren't you getting the laundry done? And this is where he finds out that all of the money is gone and it's been gone for a long time. And she tells him not to worry because with David's help, they're going to be able to survive for a couple more years as long as they only spend 30 euros a week. And I'm like, is it David's excellent financial advice that got you to this point in the first place? Even Henry is like, you used to spend 30 euros a week on flowers for the house. How are we going to survive like that? She's convinced that it's going to be fine. And everyone's contributing. They're all doing their own things to make money. And Henry's like, oh, so we live in a commune now. And his mom's (laughs) like, no, of course not. It's not, everything's not about money. And we're not poor. We're unburdened. We're free. And she's learning all of this from David. Because he's shown her another way to live in his less selfish way. Yes, and I just have a very fucking hard time believing that David Conman Thompson killed himself. Yeah, yeah, same. Very hard time believing that. Yeah. So that ends chapter 23, and we're back in chapter 24 with Libby, Miller, and Dito looking at the house. And they're trying to figure out where this fucking sock man came in from because, like, how to get in the doors are locked, deadbolted. They're going around checking all the doors, checking all the windows. They end up out in the garden, like looking up at the back of the house. And they basically notice that there is a ladder tucked up by the chimney. And like, you could kind of get up to it, but like, how did they get to that ladder? And then they find that there's an open gate from the neighbor's house that leads right to the fucking street. So you could just come in from the street through the gate up, like through their yard, up the downspout, up the ladder and into the attic. Basically, we in this chapter with them, like figuring out, like, that's how the people are getting in. They even go into the house and like find the tunnel, go up to the roof and see that there's like some chairs out there. And like people hang out up there. There's some plants in pots even. And we just end this chapter with Dito asking what she can see and she sees everything, absolutely everything. It's a great view. I just feel like that chapter really ended on a hopeful note and not like there wasn't a fucking weirdo in her house leaving one sock behind. Yeah. What was the situation where you took off one sock? Yeah. Maybe, maybe the person got uh, scared. Maybe he, that person hurt them. Yeah. And he had to flee quickly and he could only get one sock on. Yeah. So I think we're both on the same page that the third body is probably not David. That. And I am also wondering, did they really kill themselves or were they murdered? Right. 
So Justin was the gardener, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, Slash maybe Birdie's David. partner. Yeah, maybe Birdie and Justin killed everybody. No, oh, because maybe. then where is David's wife? Yeah. And Why kids. wouldn't David's wife have been there too? Yeah. <sighs> I think it's safe to say I have no idea what the fuck is going on. Yeah, same. <laughs> so how far did you think we should read? Did you take a peek? I was thinking uh, read up to page 250, which is going to be part three, Perf. chapter 40. Yeah, so we will finish up part one and part two, it seems. I didn't even know these books were, this book was in parts. We're going to have fun. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, okay, we're going to read up to part three through page 248. And then we'll talk about it next episode. And hopefully I feel a little better. Yes, hopefully. And hopefully we have some gosh dang answers because it's wild in here. I don't know what the fuck is going on. I know. I need something. Give me something. <laughs> Who is Lucy? Yes. Like, that's the question I would like to have answered next time. Although I'm certain it's Henry's sister. Yeah. Although even once Henry tells us his sister's name, it's not going to be Lucy because that's a fake name. Yep. <sighs> oh, well, I might go read this right now. I should edit. Probably going to read. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll talk to you in two weeks. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you.